I'm Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. Our Conversations podcast features in-depth interviews with innovative leaders from business, entertainment, and nonprofits. Listen and learn how to succeed in what I'm calling the next normal. Now is the time to rethink, reinvent, and renew yourself and your business. Hi, everyone. I'm Lindsay Duncan, Chief Marketing, Product, and Digital Officer at City National Bank. I'm excited to welcome an amazing creative artist to the Conversation podcast. Today's guest hails from South Wales, but now calls Los Angeles home. He graduated from the London College of Fashion with a degree in fashion photography, and today he is a cutting-edge photographer and filmmaker, directing some of the most watched music videos and most talked-about editorial shoots. He had a solo exhibition in LA, and his work has been published in the LA Times, The Hollywood Reporter, and Paper Magazine, just to name a few. His unique storytelling has led him to produce campaigns for brands like Nike, Calvin Klein, and Machino. He is a warm, smart, compassionate, and humble guy. He's a true multi-hyphenate creative, and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Lloyd Purcell today to the podcast. Lloyd, it is truly a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Can you tell us how you made it in Los Angeles from South Wales to kickstart your career as a photographer? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I'm actually back home in the UK at the moment, so you kind of have those reminders of the journey. But I was born in London and I grew up in Wales and I always kind of wanted to do photography. And actually, you know, I lie. I started wanting to be a director. That's what I want to do. And I would, I remember, um, actually, it's kind of a sad story recently, but my sisters went to get all of our tapes as kids um, to put them onto a digital file for my mum. And when we got them all back, I'd, I'd basically recorded over everything uh, with the handy cam as a kid trying to make my own little home films. It was, <laughs> it was kind of there from the beginning of me like being into filmmaking. Um, but then I I went off to, to school and I never got into photography until I was about 16. And I realized I wanted to go to London College of Fashion. And I looked up the course and I kind of was like, yeah, this is for me. So at 16, I uh, I left school, uh, high school, and I went to, to what we call college, which is kind of 17, 18. And I did a full-time uh, photography course. Uh, when I graduated, there was a music artist I really wanted to work with called Aluna George. And I ended up going for a meeting with her manager and I was like, oh, I really, I'd seen that she was playing Coachella coming up and I was like, I really want to shoot uh, a Luna, um, you know, could, could we try and figure something out? And, and she was just like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll see. Like there's so many people that want to do this. Anyway, I kind of ended up having a meeting with Aluna and the uh, photography conversation led more into a management conversation. And three and a half years later, I was still there working as Aluna's day-to-day manager. This conversation about photographing this artist that I really liked turned into becoming her day-to-day manager. And I had been to LA. Uh, I'd, I'd gone... Um, there as a well that's a whole other story but basically I went to New York when I was at college doing the photography course and I stayed in the hostel and I'm, and there was this girl eating sushi in the corner and I just thought it was the coolest thing like I don't think we ate sushi as teenagers in, in the UK so she was eating sushi in the corner and I was like oh you're so cool and then we started chatting about the hills and all of the kind of like LA TV like I was a big fan of the hills at the time on MTV or like, oh my god you live in LA this is amazing and then she typical California was like oh yeah you know come stay sometime and I was like she really did not mean it and I got back to London and found a flight and I was like oh I found a flight I'm gonna come visit you 
Uh, she's now one of my best, best friends, you know, over, over a decade later. But um, I remember now she tells me she was telling her family, she's like, oh my goodness, there's this crazy British guy that I've met in a hostel for five minutes coming to visit me. Um, but I went out to visit her when I was 17 and fell in love with LA. And I was like, this is where I want to be. And so then when the Aluna opportunity came around, <clears throat> she was getting a lot of traction in the States. Um, and then she ended up signing to Interscope Records, which are based in Santa Monica in California. And I was just like, look, she hated LA before that. She'd never had a good time. I was like, look, let's go out there together. I love it. And I can see it in a different light to you, I feel. So we went out there together and she had the best time. And we ended up moving out there together. And that was kind of the start of my LA journey. That's just amazing. I have a, a few follow-up questions, but I just love Basically, you had a dream. You didn't let anyone tell you that you had to conform to a certain way or steps to get there. And you kept like, you know, I'm a big believer of don't think what if, just go do. And and that's definitely what I heard you saying. And it's just amazing. Like, do you live in LA now and you're just visiting family back in the UK? Yeah, I'm just about for actually just a point on what you said, like the, the way the, for that. So what happened when I met? Aluna's manager for the first time she was like let's go get drinks and it was coming up to midnight um and it would have been the last I was a student I was a broke student and it was coming up to the last train um which means if I went to get drinks with her I would have missed my train and I ended up having to pay I think like 50 pounds for a taxi which at the time for me was you know a lot of money as, as a student with no money and I took the risk, missed the train, ended up going into my overdraft on my on my on my debit account. But if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have even gone on that whole journey that ended up getting me to Los Angeles. So it was kind of I always remember that you have to listen to the it's not, you know, take the risk to jump to the opportunity. And and I think I've always had that attitude towards my finances with my career. I think you have to the money part shouldn't drive you. It should be the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I I mean, I, I can relate to that because I always think like, what's the worst case scenario if you if you hadn't done that, then you would be like possibly second guessing yourself, thinking, well, what if I had just stayed? What like fifty pounds is a lot of money, but in the scheme of a lifetime, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. you know that's the kind of stuff you don't want to second guess. Mm-hmm. There's a real humbleness about how you speak to it, but you worked your butt off to get where you are, and mm-hmm. like I believe in luck, but you have to work hard and take advantage of those moments when luck knocks on your door. Would you say that's fair? I'd say it's 100% true. I think we live in a, in a world now where everything is on our phones and you, you, it's very easy to just sit and compare yourself to other people, but the real way to, 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 to really do what you want to do, and, and it, it, it's nothing but hard work, you just have to keep going. You have to keep trying, you have to keep looking at new ways, keep ways to grow and adapt. Um, and also, I think not having too much ego with, with what you do at the beginning, like being willing to adapt your creativity into new places and not just be like, well, you know, I'm better than that. I shouldn't be doing that job. Like you never know what those opportunities can lead to. There's definitely been some clients and some brands that I might have been like, I don't really want to work with them or that's not cool. But sometimes, you know, they open the doors to other things that then lead on to the things you do want to do. But yeah, ultimately, it's first having the dream and figuring out what the dream is. And then second, applying the pressure and, and the work to that dream until you know, you get there and I don't think you ever really get there. I think as a dreamer, you, your dreams are constantly growing and evolving. You reach the, your initial ideas, but as, you know, as an artist or anyone really, anyone that's got an, uh, 
dreams in life, those things are, you know, forever changing and growing. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I'm going to jump around a little bit, though, because you really inspired me with how you speak of your love of life, but how important LA is in that story. And so I think about like, I think it was 2017, you hosted your own photography exhibition and it was titled To Live and Try in LA. And it was like this, what I saw was a personal project and it kind of emerged out of LA-based artists and creatives working to make their dreams come true. And I just think when you talk, what you were just saying, this is just a really important part. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. What, well, what happened was the music management career had kind of come to the, to the end and I was at this crossroads in, in LA where I had to, I wanted to stay there. So I applied for my own visa as, as an artist and, and got it. Um, and then I was like, wow, what, you know, nobody knows I'm a photographer. That was a, that was three and a half years ago. I haven't really been taking, I've been doing the odd bit here or there, but I haven't really told anyone what I do. So I was like, let me do a show. I think it's the best way to do would be create, something that'll have some impact. Um, and then I started thinking about what that debut solo exhibition should look like. And then I was just thinking about my own story and how, I don't know that how LA had been the kind of what kickstarted the journey going there when I was 17 and falling in love with it. And I think that I wanted to, it almost was a character in, in my own life. It was something that had been such a important part of the decisions I had made and then when I started like diving into that and thinking about LA as a city I started to realize that a lot of the narratives around LA outside especially from the UK and, and New York and other places looking in because it just seemed like one big fake reality show to a lot of people I don't think a lot of people actually had taken the time to really and then this is like you know this is in 2017 so things have changed since then but yeah I think for a lot of people looking out side in it was like this big fake reality show and, and they weren't realizing there was actually a lot of people doing incredible things there and not just you know Hollywood obviously being what it's been known for forever but in so many other spaces you know athletes and musicians and painters and and so many different incredible people that I would meet in and, and then I was realizing that we have you know so much in common even though what we did was completely different but that kind of thing in common is we were using the city of LA to make our dreams a reality. And then I was like, okay, let's do a portrait series that brings all these people together and not just celebrates me, but celebrates all of us. Like let's put a collective in a room that kind of brings all of that energy together. And it gives them an opportunity to bring their people and their family and their friends to kind of give them a platform for the evening. And it worked like that one, that first one we did, the energy in the room was just incredible. Um, it was, you know, again, but the same mentality came to, I couldn't do it by myself. So I, I hustled for nine months to get sponsorship. I was like, I need, I can't, you know, I can't pay for a show of this scale, but I always dream big, you know, I want it to I see the vision and I want it to be what it deserves to be. So I knew I needed funding. So I went to brands and I kept contacting brands and, it was like a lot of people interested, but it never really went anywhere. Anyway, I just started shooting the show. I was like, let's do it. I'll shoot the show and it will happen. Um, yeah, about nine or 10 months later, I finally got the sponsorship I needed and, and it happened. I find that so inspiring. And there is this theme like, this is, this is, there is community here. People just don't talk about it as much. That's why I feel that's not spoken about. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. I just feel like those, 
those elements of LA are not often, they're overlooked. You know, you think of London, you think of New York, you think of diversity and you think of the, the richness and culture. But when you think of LA, like, I don't think it's the initial thing that you think of, but actually there's so much story there. I mean, one of the people I first shot, his name was Eric and um, he, he founded this run club, but he was first generation American. His parents from El Salvador. And, I, you know, I got to go home and spend time in his family home with, with his parents and, you know, things like that that taught me so much about the making of LA as a city. It was it was a really like incredible project just, you know, as a as a human to connect with with these people and, and hear why all these different elements that make LA what it is. That is so awesome. Um I obviously I, I'm a fan and I think you have this really good eye for recognizing talent before they become megastars, you know, and I think you've done a great job. Of, you know, I would almost say, you know, you've made it your mission to document the ambitious stars of tomorrow before their big breaks. And you know, if I gave two examples, Ashton Sanders and Billie Eilish, who I saw in concert at um, the Kia Forum the other week, who was phenomenal. Like, what draws you to this new talent? And and it's like you have you're seeing it before they're actually hitting their stride. I think that the people that I have being able to connect within the industry, recognize that I'm good with people at the beginning. I was actually the first person to, I believe, to shoot Billy um, for Interscope. Obviously I had a, a fantastic relationship with them because I managed an artist that was signed to them as well. Um, so then when Billy came in as a, I think she was like 12 or 13, she did a little showcase oh, in, in the office mm. in Santa Monica and they had me come in and take some photos of her. I still have the photos somewhere. And she, you know, it was the first photograph the label had ever shot of her. Um, and then I went on to shoot her a couple more times. So she came to the show. She came to the first, she was in the show and she came with it with her parents. And now looking back on that, that's to me, it's such a special thing. We have a, we have a photo of the two of us next to the portrait of her. If, you know, that happened now, I don't know if she would come. You know what I'm saying? She's so busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I don't even know. She's on, I think she's on an arena tour right now. But yeah, there's, for me as, as an artist connecting with them, there's something truly special about an untouched talent when you really connect with them at their raw. You know, they haven't been altered by the industry. They haven't seen so much that it's changed their own ways that they're, they're very much them and also i identify with that with that not struggle but that you know that energy of chasing your dreams you know what is a struggle it's hard it's very it's very much hard work and when you see them just at the cusp before they've broke they still have that that passion in there that, that i recognize and i think there's something truly special about catching up with with a person before you go on to working with megastars that have been doing what they do for years and probably forgotten that little spark that was there at the beginning. With Ashton, I went to a screening of Moonlight. It was in downtown LA at one of the theaters. It was Moonlight with a live orchestra. It was incredible. And I ended up sitting literally behind Ashton. He was there. And so then I saw him outside and I was just like, you know what? Let me just say hello and, and say, I really wanted to work with him. So I said, hey, and we chat in and um, I said, I want to shoot you, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of one of them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then nothing really happened. Um, and then I ended up getting booked by Calvin Klein to shoot some stuff for the Oscars in 2017. They wanted, it was Raf Simmons' first award show uh, designs for, for Calvin and they had me come and shoot the tailors making the clothes and then <clears throat> that led on to me shooting some portraits of the actual cast so then I showed up and I saw Ashton there and it was just a really special moment because we planned to do it it just never happened and it ended up happening 
you know, indirectly. Um, and that was kind of uh, of a really great, in that time, we, we then ended up working together a couple of times and I, I did a little short film. He came and helped me as part of the film. So um, that was definitely one of the kind of memorable moments for me in my career, which I remember just being like, okay, this is, this is, a, this is incredible. You know, I'm at the peninsula in Beverly Hills shooting for Calvin Klein for the Oscars. Like this is, I think, damn, like I've come a long way from Barry South Wales. <laughs> but you know, like, I mean, there's just this, like you, you haven't forgotten your roots, your family, where you came from and, and you pay it forward, right? Like, I mean, hearing you talk about these two incredible young talent when they're at that early stage of their career and you wanted to help and, and help them find their way and get through some of the challenges and whether it's, although I think it's harder in, in performing, but I just, it's hard to, to, to fulfill your dreams. Like it's, it's, and they should evolve to your point. Like, but you find ways when you see that talent to help them reach potential, which I think is extraordinary. Thank you. I think that's it. Like, I, I think that is like what you're saying is some kind of wanting to help them and wanting to make sure that, you know, we've seen so many incredible talent in our industry not be taken care of and you know some really tragic things have happened to some incredible people and I think that these raw raw talented people that are obviously creative geniuses they need they need to be taken care of at the beginning of their of their industry and if I can help in that small way you know I think that's for me what my photography is it's what I like to empower portrait photography for me is empowering the person that I'm shooting I want them to look at the photo and feel proud of themselves see something in themselves and see their own journey and see their own story and connect with the photo of them so yeah it's nice to think that you know when you work with new people that you can help imagery is so important as as you know an actor or a musician um an athlete you know that imagery is what kind of leaps you into the world that that's what people see and not everyone has access to to these people but they'll see a photo of them so if you can create something that connects with with that person um you know I'm doing my job that's what I want to do is create work and portraits that connect and connect you know bridge that that gap between the talent and the audience I mean I, I think that's terrific it's just I mean it's so amazing what you do and you do I mean like, you know, they say a picture tells a thousand words and it's really important in that industry that people can convey so much and you help them convey so much by capturing the essence of a moment and that lives on for a lifetime. Exactly. That's it, isn't it? Like, I think that we live in a very disposable world at the moment and I think if you can create work that's timeless and can last forever, like, that, that's something really special and, and something that I really try to to do with my photography you know I don't I think trends are great but I, I there's nothing more powerful to me than than classic portraiture I 100% agree with that um like when you think about more kind of cinematic like when I think about your videos like there's just a beautiful quality to how you put them together like the attention to focus the framing the lighting like I mean you referenced making a short film like I, I feel like sometimes when I see some of the the videos you're doing there they're all like it's just beautifully put together short film is there something that you you strive for when you're conceptualizing your videos and, and if so like what what drives you mm. it's a hard question right but i was getting really yeah, into it it's really hard <laughs> i know i think the thing is like the, the process is so lonely linda that i'm like it's a very like internal process like i sit by myself and i write ideas on my laptop and then i have to like 
send them to my agent and then sometimes you don't hear anything for days and you're like chasing but it's still just with me and I'm like has anyone even seen it yet it's a very it's a very lonely process at times being a director you you have to sit and you know come up with these concepts and I you know often I'm told by my agent you know you can read for the idea doesn't work you can reuse it but I always I always get re-inspired I want to do something you know that's unique to that song that when you hear, especially for music videos, when you hear the song, you, it doesn't always work just to cross an idea over. I mean, you sometimes can adapt and change them. Yeah, I think it sometimes takes a second. Sometimes it comes really quickly. I, I do keep in my notes, in my phone, I have really ran, I'll be sitting on like the train or if I'm in London or if I'm in an Uber somewhere in LA or whatever, I'll I'll come up with, I'll see something. And like I, I thought of something the other day and I was thought, I think it was like, maybe when Downton Abbey was coming back out as, as um, uh, for the film, when I was thinking of horse and carriages, and how cool would it be to have like a horse and carriage going through downtown LA at night? <laughs> just like, that's actually very <laughs> cool. <laughs> and so I just like, wrote it in my notes. And I was like, I don't have the job for that right now, but like, let's just put it in my notes. And so then when the right job comes up, I'll, I've got the horse and carriage going through the streets of downtown LA at night ready. So like, I kind of have random ideas like that, just kind of, in my notes on my phone. I think something in my creative process I've been doing recently is like thinking of something, this is kind of really going into my brain, but thinking of something like normal and then fusing it with something not so normal. And then what do you get? And then I think that is like, comes. so I was like, okay, downtown LA, normal, horse and carriage, not so normal, put it together. Okay, that's, that's a really dope visual. It's really cool. That's kind of how I've been thinking recently on on coming up with concepts and then and then from there you could build a whole narrative if you know if you want to make a story out of that you could add in characters or it could just be an abstract performance piece where that is the story you know so it, it really comes down to what the artist is um and i think that's also a big part of being a director is adapt like i said like adapting into different spaces and not being so i don't think you know there's, there's two kind of styles of directors and some are very stuck in their ways. This is my look, either go with me or some are, are more collaborative and want to actually work with the music eyes that you're working with in the music video space and, and kind of building that vision together. So, you know, you were talking about how you're one of those directors and I have enormous respect, but you wanted to be, although it's lonely, you wanted to be a collaborative process. You want the artist to be involved. How do you then go about picking those people that help you bring that that collaboration to life like how do you then go pick the like do you have a group of people that you go to that are that are in your phone they go I'm talking to this talent about this and I know you're the perfect person to help us bring that to life it's a mixture of the two really because I, I think that when I started you hadn't obviously had nothing there's no one in the phone book now I'm you know more established I have the phone book of, of some incredible people I think that it depends on the job. And sometimes I have my go-to. Like if I'm doing a dance video, I work with Paris Gobel, who's the best choreographer in the world and a very good friend of mine. And I would call her immediately and say, I need you to choreograph this. Please, can you do it? But if it's, you know, say a color grader, I'm open to, you know, working with new and different people and seeing, you know, I think there's a, there's a fun part of the job is, is meeting other creatives and seeing, you know, taking a risk and, and, not even taking a risk, but just like, you know, trying new new people. Because I think if you stay in the same thing all the time, like you, you work, you don't even feel like you're really, really evolving yourself as an artist. And this, the, that dynamic, I mean, I take real pride in, in choosing the best people I want to work with. I think that's one of the things I take longest if I get a job in. And the first thing that I really think about is, like, okay, who do I want to edit this? Or who do I want to do the production design? And 
Um, and different people are good for different jobs as well. So you kind of have, you know, people in your mind for that look or that look. But that's one of the most exciting things for me is, is think is I think sitting in the edit and and seeing that person come to life, you know, like you it's exciting. And I think that's why I never tried to give too much direction at first. You know, obviously they have the treatment to go by but if, if i'm working with an editor i i know i remember like the first ever music video i did i had no idea you know no one, no one teaches you this you have to just learn i mean <laughs> you go to film school and even then i mean i went to fashion school for photography and i, and I still don't think that i was actually taught <laughs> photography i'm still learning you know over 10 years later myself on the job but you don't you know you're not told this is how how it works so i went into the my first ever edit and I thought that, okay, this is what you do. And I wrote down a whole like time-coded like edit note. So this is what this it should look like at this time code, this time code. And honestly, Linda, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. When, it, when, I, got the, when, I, got the, when I got the first cut back, I was literally horrified. And I turned to my agent at the time and I was like, what happened? Like the footage was so good. You, you gave too much. You didn't let that artist, you know, marinate with the footage and really get into it and and feel it you know you didn't let them feel it you didn't let them put their vision on it and I was like okay damn so I was really happy that happened on my first job because it made me realize you know that's not the way to work so now you know I take more time looking at the editor's reels and seeing what their work is and then if I connect to their reel and connect to the way that they cut then I have full confidence that when I give them the drive full of footage they're going to do a first cut which is much you know, much better. And you, you want them to be excited. They should be excited. They, they're, they're not just there as high as help. You know, they're, they're, they're being paid to put just as much as I'm putting my creative vision on that piece, they're putting their vision on that piece. And, and I think it's part of my job to make them feel, you know, important and that their vision matters. So I really try now to like let the first cut come from within them and then we'll, uh, we'll sit together and do a, a you know, two or three rounds of, of, of editing together and then come come up with the final the final piece and that kind of goes throughout the process the same with the color grade and and whatnot you're saying how you're still you know 10 years later you're still learning photography like that almost like childlike curiosity of wanting to continue to learn and and you can hear it in your voice like you're excited by that like you don't want to have all the answers you want to keep evolving which I think is a terrific quality and that important partnership like you want this to be very collaborative you want everybody involved to feel great about it including you but everybody involved again this is this humbleness of of how you approach your work which I think is terrific thank you yeah, well, I, got, I recently a color grader I I didn't know he was referring he was using a, a film term code I didn't know what it meant and I said to him I don't know what that means and then I kind of went on to say he got really mad at me I was like you shouldn't you shouldn't say you know you shouldn't know what that means and I, and I completely yes I completely disagree with you I don't think that um you know I, I think that the beauty of what I've been able to do as a director is is be very honest on set. And if I don't know something, I'll ask. You know, I don't think you should sit there and pretend. I think that, you know, and anyone listening to this who's trying to break into to film and 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 being a director, you don't need all of the answers. Don't think I need to go and be a fully qualified director to become a director because that's not true. You just need passion, you need vision, you need ideas. It's really what it comes down to. And if you have 
those ideas and you really, really, you know, believe in those ideas, there are people to help you bring those ideas to life and you will learn the technical side of it. And don't get me wrong, if you're a technical director or a technical photographer and that's what really drives you, that's fantastic too. You know, I wish I could be sometimes a bit more technical, but it's not really ever what drove me. Like I was never really completely into kind of the... I guess the the technical and science of it, it was more for me about the actual, the, the vision and, and the connection with the subjects and telling stories. Like I'm a storyteller and that's what I really pride myself on. Yeah. Let me pivot a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, Pride Month. And like for us at the National Bank, we understand Pride is about, you know, truly having togetherness. It's about celebrating the strength and diversity and making sure everyone truly feels included and has a voice. I'm actually the executive sponsor of our internal LGBTQ plus um, City National Colleague Group, and, and I'm that as an ally. And can I ask how you celebrate Pride and, and what does it mean to you? Pride is, it's important. It's a very important time of the year. Um, important because there's still a lot of people that are suffering and struggling within our community. There's a lot of things and also as much as we're moving forward in a lot of ways, we're moving backwards, especially in both of the countries that are my homes, America and the UK. There, you know, it needs to happen because we still really, the, the, the real reason, you know, I saw, I saw someone posting it today. It was like, you know, this pride, can we stop saying love is love and love everyone? Can we start saying trans people are, you know, in danger right now? Like the conversation needs to shift a little bit more to actually the specifics about what, you know, why we're having to still celebrate Pride um, and, and the real issues that are happening around the world, right? The, yeah. There's still such a long way to go. LGBTQ plus, to me, is something that I feel created because it is very easy to put a lot of people into one box and say to the rest of the world, specifically the white straight male around the world, you know, this is what those people are. And then we can make this group a kind of a few letters and you to help you understand that group of people. Well, within those letters, there is a lot of different stories and a lot of different struggles. And what I sometimes find difficult about it is that as a gay man, my struggles are nowhere near the same, the struggles as a trans person. What they have to go through in life is so, so tough. And the spaces that they need to be able to walk into that are not safe for them and are very dangerous for trans people don't really kind of, the same danger is there for gay people, but it's not the same. We need to really start looking at prides and the LGBTQ plus community, we need to start breaking down the letters a little bit more and like actually breaking into what that means to, to each person and, and, and kind of building education on the different letters because there's then, you know, within the gay community and as a gay man, there's, there's, there's much, much different, you know, struggles that exist there. That makes sense. We can't just bundle everybody into one group. Like that's just not fair and it's not real. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that it's important to have that, this time to celebrate pride right and I think that's the positive side of it is it's a really special time that people can come together and not everyone knows the history of pride and why it started and why we have to you know you know look back at the history and celebrate that right like I don't think that's that's something that's common knowledge to every gay person for example but 
I think it's also a really special time to come together and and for allies also to come together and just everyone just to kind of have that moment to to celebrate being yourself. I think pride should be open to everyone. You know, it's about really a time to to celebrate individuality. That we really need to start looking at humans as individuals. You know, like this is a an individual person with their different um, struggles and, and supporting those struggles and listening to them as, a, as an individual. I think there's a lot of this kind of putting everything into labels and clumping everyone together. And you can really like lose so much to what that individual person needs in that. And I, I think it's it, it's a complex topic. We could have done a whole um, conversation series just on pride. Like, I mean, it's it's a complicated topic. And I think to your point, like, well, it's also like no, no, no. I was going to say, I think there has to be more discussion about this. Like, I, I'm an ally, but like I said, I like a lot of friends that are in the LGBTQ plus community, especially a lot of gay guys, and and I constantly ask them questions because I don't, I don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes, and 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 I, I you know, I, I want to be a good friend. I want to understand, and and I think having these conversations and understanding that it is complex. And to your point, like when you're on set, you ask questions when you don't know. We have, we, as a community, we have to ask questions. We have to be more educated on how it feels, you know? And I, so I think it's a really important point you're making. I think also there's like, just now the kind of like a, it, it, it's almost like alienating in a, in a sense can be like having Pride Month. And then during that that month, you know, creatives and artists, LGBTQ plus artists are only booked for that month where actually, you know, I'm an artist, you know, the, the 11, other 11 months of the year yeah. I'm still an artist. And I, I would like yeah. to 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 not just be you know seen and I don't you know I'm not I'm just kind of generically speaking but I know that there's I've had clients I've had brands message me and not just maybe to work with me but like hey hey Lloyd could you send me a list and this I'm a big clients like big big names hey Lloyd like can you send me a list of gay artists that would be good to partner with in June and there's something just kind of like almost a little bit like troubling about that for me a little bit yeah. like makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm just like well you should want to work with that person because of their art, because of what they do or what their story yes. is. Their story should matter in, in any other time of the year, you know? And I think there's a responsibility, I think, for, for brands and businesses to put their hands up and say that we don't know everything and we are committed to progress. We're committed to learning more. And, you know, during the month of Pride, maybe we we will highlight some of those stories and give our lens, you know, give give out give the lens to them and let them tell their story. Um, one thing that is not spoken about at all, like ever, really, during Pride Month, all the pressure is put onto the the person that is the member of the community. But one thing that's never spoke about and this could do so much help um, from from a, a, a corporate and brand perspective is parenting. Parenting is key to a child's development, and I think that there could be a lot more done during this month to highlight the parent. And I'm very, very lucky. Like I'm very fortunate, and that's why one of the things that has helped me be who I am today and helped make me realize I can go chase my dreams and be who I want to be because my parents let me be myself. They never, I never had to come out to my dad. My dad never put that pressure onto me. I never had to sit down and say, Hey dad, I got something to tell you. It was always just like, be you, Amazing. be yourself and be who you want to be. And I know how fortunate I am as some a place of privilege, but that shouldn't be a place of privilege. That should be the normal. We're almost at time. Left. I just wanted to quickly ask if it was okay any exciting projects in the pipeline that you can give us a little hint on that's coming? I've written my first film, uh, a feature film, and we're now developing it. We're very early stages, but we are, um, I found a production company that love it and want to work with me on this. They're based in London and it's, it's, it's set in London. It's inspired 
uh, a, a little bummer life. It's fictional, but it's um, a story that I've, it's based heavily on what we just spoke about and about uh, a lot of members of the gay community. I'll I, I put something into kind of, to, that kind of brings the film, tie it to the film and pride, but the, the rainbow is the symbol for pride. Yeah. But I've always felt like I've lived around the rainbow. Mm. There's, the rainbow is always over a certain part of, of a certain city. In in LA, it's in West Hollywood, the rainbow. In in London, it's in Soho. In, in San Francisco, it's in the Castro. Like that's where the mm. rainbow exists. But there's people that live all in the other suburbs and the other parts of the inner city that are also part of that community, but don't really relate to the rainbow. They don't fit under the rainbow. And mm. I'm writing a story that is about uh, uh, two men and they both kind of exist outside of the rainbow and it's kind of highlighting uh, a message that I really think needs to be told especially from the UK lens um, so yeah developing it right now um, we are deciding whether it's going to be a TV series or a film and then we are now chatting to some screenwriters so yeah I'm really excited about it I can't thank you enough. You are such a generous man and incredibly talented and you continue to pay it forward. We are lucky to have you. Thank you so much for joining the Conversation Series. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll subscribe to Conversations so you'll never miss an episode. We have lots of great guests this season who will inform and inspire you. 